you want to go ahead and take out your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. It will be a while before we get there, but please go ahead if you'd like to do that, and then when we get there, you will be prepared. This morning, I want to continue once again with our ongoing sermon mini-series on the Lord's Church. I want you to know that I truly appreciate all of the strong and positive responses that this sermon mini-series has received thus far in the form of CDs that have been requested and comments that have been made and website, people that have accessed the website and the sermons that are posted there. This has been a very strong and straightforward sermon series. It's been a very strong and scripturally referenced sermon series. This morning will be no exception. In fact, I almost feel like, you know those TV shows that you watch where in the beginning it comes on and says viewer discretion is advised? I almost feel like issuing a warning that listener discretion is advised this morning to be prepared, especially to those faithful parents who have raised children in the church who have since fallen away. This morning is going to be a strong sermon. But it is my ardent hope, my ardent prayer, that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, this sermon is strong enough this morning that folks who did grow up in the church but have since left the Lord's church, that any of them who might get a chance to listen to this lesson might perhaps reconsider their current condition what they are going through now as opposed to where they were going then, perhaps get them to reconsider repenting and pulling a prodigal son, as it were, by returning home while there's still time. It's also my hope that all of our young people will take to heart the words this morning, the heartbreak that is in them. The title of this morning's lesson is, I Grew Up. Church of Christ. I didn't personally grow up Church of Christ. I didn't grow up with any church at all. And as I look at some of the blessings and opportunities that our young people have who are growing up Church of Christ today, things like Tri-State Youth Series this afternoon, what a phenomenal program. Green Valley Bible Camp, what a phenomenal program. What an awesome opportunity to build a foundation for life for our kids who are being raised in the church. But you know, perhaps if I had been raised in the church, I wouldn't appreciate it so much. You know what Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, in verses 41 through 43? He asked Simon, who, loves, who will love more? And Simon said, I suppose the one who has been forgiven more. Sometimes I think some of our kids growing up in the church don't understand the fullness, maybe take for granted the grace of God, and don't, don't get me wrong, I'd raise, if I had 100 lifetimes to live over, I'd raise my kids 100 more times in the Lord's church. Don't, don't get the wrong idea. But I think sometimes maybe that they take for granted, perhaps, some of the blessings that they have in Christ, more so than somebody who came from the wrong side of the tracks and didn't realize what God had to offer. God knows that there are many adults today who grew up Church of Christ who had ought to have been eternally grateful for what their parents gave them growing up. Their parents' love and guidance 
in the Lord's Church, but who didn't appreciate their upbringing in the Church of Christ enough to embrace and protect and nurture and treasure and hold on to it no matter what. I can't tell you how many times I've been talking with somebody who's, who I've never seen in an assembly of the church, strangers sometimes. And, and often that line will come up, well, I grew up Church of Christ. In a former town where we lived and I preached, there was a lady that owned a house across from the parsonage. We got in a conversation one day, what brings you to town, all of this, and I explained, I grew up Church of Christ, she says. My thought was, how come you ain't there? There was an older gentleman that lived on that same street who had been baptized into Christ many years before at the local Church of Christ congregation where I preached, but reportedly he'd married a lady who was a member of a man-made denomination in that town, and so he'd become a part of that. We were in a store one day, and it was a lady cutting fabric for Karen, and we got involved in a conversation. I grew up Church of Christ. It was a local bank clerk in that same town, with that same story we got to talking one day. And I'm sure there have been others over time. And the question I always want to ask such people when that line comes up, I grew up Church of Christ. What was it? Uh, this is the question I want to ask. What was it that Satan offered you that was worth turning your back on the Lord Jesus Christ and on rejecting everything he came and suffered and died to provide for you, including his church. What was it? My heart cries out and I want to ask those people. I want to ask them, what momentary cup of earthly soup was it that was so important to you you were willing to trade in your eternal home in heaven for an eternity in the fires of hell. But that's probably not the best way to approach the subject. So in those cases, we need to ask simply, when somebody says, well, I grew up Church of Christ, the question we need to ask is, so why did you leave? Why did you leave? Because actually the answer to all three of those questions comes down to the same thing. Whether it's something someone said, or did, or didn't say, or didn't do to or for them, or some other totally worthless by comparison thing Satan offered them, the answer comes down to the same thing. What, what is it that Satan offered them in order to get them to sell out, to pull a Judas Iscariot, and totally betray and reject the Lord Jesus Christ and the church he died to give them. What was it? I grew up Church of Christ. What does that phrase mean exactly? Have you ever thought about that? What does that phrase literally infer? What precisely does that sentiment signify? I grew up Church of Christ. We're going to examine that this morning with the rest of this lesson. Because when Satan's blinders are suddenly removed from those who are no longer in attendance who make that statement, 
when that, the implications of that statement are suddenly understood in their entirely, in their entirety, it should be absolutely terrifying to those people who make that statement. It should be absolutely terrifying in its implication to those people who would even allow that sentiment to form in their hearts and flow out of their lips. I grew up Church of Christ. Consider the statement. The first thing I want to remind us all of is the latter part of that statement. We'll take the three words at a time. We'll take the I grew up later, but then we'll take Church of Christ. I want us to remember and I want us to remind us what the Church of Christ actually is, what it is in the mind and in the eyes and in the heart and in the plan and in the word of God as we talked about last week. And I won't go through all of them, but I want us to remember what the Church of Christ is. The Church of Christ is not just some ear-tickling, man-made social group. It is not just some man-made, pointless, man-pleasing, never seen in scripture, denominational or social group that can be taken or that can be left behind on a whim without a thought or implication. It's not like, oh, I don't like this gas station anymore, so I'll go to this one. It's, that's not what it is. It's not something that you can just desert and turn your back on without implication. It's not like, well, I don't want to be part of this, this electronic online discussion group. I'll just change and go to another one. It's not like that. It's not anywhere near like that. The Church of Christ is that kingdom of Christ. It is that mountain of the Lord's house that was both promised and prophesied by God in his word in scriptures like Daniel 2. Where Daniel 2, it talks about the God of heaven who promised to set up a kingdom during the days of the Roman Empire which would never be destroyed. And, Dan, and, and Jesus verified that in Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19. The Church of Christ is the Lord's house which would be established in the first century in Jerusalem where the law or the word of the Lord would proceed from. That's in Isaiah 2. And in Daniel 2, uh, I'm sorry, in Acts 2, we see the fulfillment of that. The Church of Christ, think what it is. It is that one kingdom of God that Christ came to earth to establish and reign over. Luke 1, 26 through 33. And Mark 9, 1. It is that Church of Christ, or Church of God, that one group of saved people that God came in the flesh. The Word became flesh. And He came and He shed His blood. Acts 20 and verse 28. The church of God, which he purchased with his blood, it is that group that he came to purchase and cleanse and save from their sins upon their obedience to the gospel, Acts 2, 38-47. The church of Christ is that one entire and exclusive group of blood-washed and saved people who have been called by the gospel. They've been called by the gospel out of their sin and darkness. And when they obeyed the gospel, they were cleansed and transferred into the kingdom, into the church, into the body of God's beloved son, Jesus Christ. Look with me in Colossians 1, beginning at verse 13, where this is proven. Look what he says. <coughs> Excuse me. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. This was past tense in the middle of the first century. The kingdom came, the church. 
Paul says to our brethren in Colossae, he's delivered us, past tense, from the power of darkness and conveyed us, past tense, into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have, current tense, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. When you are redeemed through the blood of Christ and you have the forgiveness of your sins because you're baptized the way our two new sisters were last Sunday, when you do that, God adds you to the church, Acts 2.47. He adds you to his son's kingdom, Colossians 1.13. But it goes on to say this of Jesus, Verse 15 of Colossians 1, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Verse 18, and he is the head, one, of the body. There's only one. The church, only one who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. The church of Christ, Christ's kingdom, God's blood-bought kingdom. Jesus Christ is the one head over that, and he has all preeminence, and it's all about him and what he wants, but there's one of these, and only one. And the church of Christ, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, is that saved group of obedient, blood-washed, and forgiven people whom in the end, Jesus Christ himself will deliver up to God the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 24. That's what the latter part of that sentence is, the church of Christ. Having defined and rediscovered what the church of Christ actually is in the mind and in the eyes and in the heart and in the plan and in the word of God, according to Almighty God, let us turn our attention to the first part of that phrase, I grew up, church of Christ. What does that I grew up mean? When we say I grew up, church of Christ, it means that as a child or a young person, I was associated with, I was exposed to, I was a part of, I was one of, or I was involved in the Bible studies and the spirit and truth worship with God's blood-washed, forgiven, and heaven-bound people. I was a part of that. I grew up Church of Christ means as a child I was associated with, or I was exposed to, or I was a part of those God-forgiven people who currently comprise Christ's earthly kingdom, who will one day be transferred to the heavenly part of that kingdom or to the new location, be transferred to the head office, as you will. I was a part of that. I was involved with that. I was associated with that. I was there. Those people who, for, who currently comprise Christ's earthly kingdom and are therefore going to be spending eternity with God in Christ in their heavenly kingdom. But I have chosen of my own free will to no longer be amongst, a part of, or one of those with that blessed eternal hope, home, promise, 
or future in heaven. I grew up church Christ means I was part of that group that's going to heaven, but I no longer want to be. That's what that sentence means. If that doesn't scare you, it should. Those who make that statement who are no longer in attendance, I grew up Church of Christ, are actually saying, as an adult, I have chosen a life, if I may paraphrase the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.12, I have chosen a life without Christ, becoming an alien and stranger from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's what I've chosen. How terrifying. How terrifying. And yet Jesus addressed the fact that in some cases this was going to happen. What, what are some of the things that people let come between them and being a part of this saved group? What are some of the things that people let be, come between and separate them from God and his saved people or Christ's church? What are some of the things that cause people to become just another, I grew up church of Christ, Casualty or statistic. I'll show you some of them. Jesus talked about them. Matthew 13, please turn there. Matthew chapter 13, very familiar passage, parable of the sower beginning at verse 20. These are some of the things that cause people to become a part of that casualty list. I grew up Church of Christ. Matthew chapter 13, verse 20. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. This passage right here, these two verses are why I'm a little nervous, anxious, concerned for some of our baptisms that occur at camp. Please do not get me wrong. I am not saying there's anything wrong with a camp baptism. I rejoice. When some of our young people at a very, very early age are baptized, there's just, there's just a little bit of concern because it's like at camp, it's easy, it's exciting. When you're at camp all week, it's, it's easy to get excited about what you're hearing, you're surrounded by this, and, and you kind of lose sight of the real world. And, and I had to talk to a young man when I was at camp who thought it was time to be baptized, and after talking with him with another counselor, it really wasn't, but it's easy to get caught up in that rush. And, and this, these two verses, I fear sometimes that, that in the middle of it, all that joy and excitement, and they'll go ahead and do something, but later on, might be two years, three years, 10 years, 12 years down the road, when a real persecution hits because they're a Christian, when a real persecution hits because of the word, when they have to choose between money and the church, when they have to choose between other things, who they're going to date, all of those sorts of things, when they have to make other choices, I worry about them sometimes. Now, again, don't get me wrong. I don't have a problem baptizing a young person that's knowing what they're doing. Both of my daughters were baptized at nine years old. Both of them are married preachers. Okay? So just so you know, I'm not saying it's a problem. As long as they know. 
but connected to this idea of later on, you know, they, they, they do it with joy, but later on, they, they endure for a while, but when tribulation arises because of the word, immediately they stumble. Connected to that are a couple of texts I want to share with you. One of them is 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This could possibly be one of those things. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look what God says. Verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them. I'll walk among them. I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. Therefore, that is, if you want that to happen, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. We can't allow the influences of those who are not walking in the light to dim ours. Can't. Another verse that's connected to this is 2 Timothy chapter 3. What are some of those things that cause some of our folks to only grow up Church of Christ but not continue to leave the church? 2 Timothy, would you please turn there? Chapter 3. Beginning at verse 12, look what Paul writes to young Timothy. He writes this in verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's easy to, to, to receive the word with joy, but there's going to be persecution. Some of us who are a little older and gray-haired or losing our hair or whatever, we understand that there's going to be persecution. There's going to be hard times as Christians. There's going to be times people ain't going to like us. All, verse 12 of 2 Timothy 3, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying is, you can't let what other people do to you come between you and God. You can't let what other people say and do to you drive a division between you and God's word. You cannot let how other people treat you cause you to not obey the word anymore. You've got to stay wise to salvation that is in Christ, even if you're suffering persecution for it. Back to Matthew 13, look at verse 22. Another thing that can cause a person to become a part of that statistic list, I grew up Church of Christ. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. You know, sometimes the world's temporary treasures and trinkets can pull a person away very, very slowly very easily. They're just far too tempting, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. The writer of Hebrews says we must be more careful, chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. We must pay more careful attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. Stop and think of a, of a boat, a rowboat that's kind of moored 
pulled up on the beach, and it's just sitting there. You think, okay, it's safe, and the tide or the waves come in a little bit, and all of a sudden, we'll say you're asleep in that boat. Sounds like good afternoon, right? Asleep in a boat with the waves rocking a little, pulled up on the beach, yeah. Okay, anyway, moving on. But you don't pay attention, you're kind of asleep to what's happening, the water comes in and kind of cradles the boat, and, and, and you don't have any oars, and before long, you know, you wake up an hour or two later, not only do you have a bad sunburn, but stop and think about where you are. You're out there in 10 foot of shark infested water because you've slowly drifted. You haven't noticed what's happening. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says. And sometimes people can just drift away from the church like that. In other cases, some people just get tired of fighting a good fight and the opposition it brings. Hebrews chapter 10, 31 through 39. More than once, a person who will make the claim, well, I grew up Church of Christ is no longer there simply because another flawed fellow, forgiven but still human Christian has behaved and treated them in a far less than loving manner. Sometimes some of our kids can even see some of the needless quarreling and hypocrisy amongst some of us. And they just give up and go away later on and say, you know what, I know about this and this and this and that, and I just don't want any part of it. And they become just another I grew up Church of Christ casualty or statistic. There can be any number of things that can cause this to happen. But brethren, even those situations, any of those, as severe as they are, must not be the reason, must not be allowed to separate a person from God and his word and his people. You know, that's a package deal, right? By the way, that's the title of next Sunday morning sermon because we're going to talk about this further. That's a package deal. You can't leave God's people to take God with you because God operates amongst his people. So when you leave his people, you leave him. I want to show you something from Hebrews 10. We're going to spend a lot of time in Hebrews here in the next few minutes. <coughs> These things must not be allowed to be the reason one ever lets the words, I grew up Church of Christ, explode from their hurting hearts and lips. Look at Hebrews 10. Beginning at verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The book of Hebrews is written to people that were thinking of becoming that statistic. That wasn't what they were maybe consciously thinking, but they were thinking of going back to the old ways and, and leaving the church behind. He says you've got to hold fast, verse 23, the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He said, listen, you've got to hang on without wavering because God meant what he said. And God's not going to let go of you. The only reason the relationship's going to be broken is if you leave. Don't leave God. Hold fast to God. He's faithful. You know this. Look what else he says. 
And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Part of us holding fast to God is holding fast to God's people. You cannot hold fast to God and let go of God's people. Can't be done. Again, I don't want to preach next Sunday's lesson, but the bottom line is, as he says, don't forsake the assembly. Don't, don't leave God's people. You can't do this. And it's interesting, and I know there's been a lot of discussion over the years in this, but look at the context of his next comments. His next comments are, for if we sin willfully, and it means to continue to sin willfully, not just one. If we go on willfully sinning, if we sin willfully, it's not by chance that that follows the admonition not to take the assembly. In the context, that's the sin he's talking about. Now, does it apply to others? Sure. We should not sin willfully. Absolutely not. But it's in the context of the assembly, of holding on to our hope, holding on to God, holding on to God's people, staying with God, staying with God's people. That's the context. He said, don't forsake the assembly. For if we do, verse 26, sin willfully, the person who grows up church of Christ, they hear the lessons, they know and they understand. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, this scares me. I'm standing here. You know, you almost get that tickle up your spine. These next few verses are horrifying. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. We are going to leave God's people and God behind. That means that Jesus Christ is no longer our sacrifice. Do you see that? I don't know about you, but that would scare me to death. Jesus, not there as your advocate on the day of judgment. That's what that means. What do we expect then? Again, verse 26, if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain. When the Bible uses the word certain, you can bank on it, brethren a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? Brethren, when he says in this passage, talks about fire that will devour the adversaries, you've got to understand who he's talking about. He's talking about those who were children of God who have now become adversaries because they've turned their back and walked over onto the enemy's side when they walked away from God. He said they've done three things. He said, you know, when they were in Moses' day, he said there was, you know, just what we talked about. This, this idea that anybody who rejected Moses' law died on, died on the testimony of two or three without mercy. He said, you want to talk about without mercy and what people deserve? How much worse punishment will that one be that one who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Listen, when you turn and walk away from the Lord's people, his blood-bought people, when you turn and walk away from them and you desert the church and the word and God himself, what you're saying is, Christ's sacrifice is meaningless to me. It's pointless. I don't want anything to do with it. And you're insulting the spirit of grace because you're saying God's grace that he extended to me and those people, that doesn't mean anything to me. That's, I don't want anything to do with it. It's useless. 
and Jesus' blood, by which he was sanctified, this is talking to those who knew and obeyed the truth, he was sanctified by the blood, but like last year's, last week's garbage, he's thrown it out and trampled it underfoot. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, watch this, the Lord will judge who? His people. This is not talking about those that have never known him. This is talking about those who were sanctified, who had partaken of the blood, who knew the truth, and they've walked away from the assembly. They've walked away from everything. The Lord will judge his people. There's one version that says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If we go over to Hebrews chapter 12, and I would ask that you do, look at the first three verses. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, sometimes life in church ain't going to be easy. Sometimes life as a Christian outside the church ain't going to be easy. But Jesus endured, and he said, you've got to do the same thing. Look what he says beginning at verse 11 of chapter 12. No chastening. When God has to chasten us, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. My, my thought, don't get all bent out of shape. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for the morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He goes on in verses 18 through 21 to talk about Moses and that group coming to God. And he says in verses 22 through 24, you've come to something much more powerful. In verse 25, he says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. Look what he says, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Our God is a consuming fire. You better stick with the kingdom, people. What a scary phrase. I grew up Church of Christ. There's one other reference I want to share with you this morning relevant to Hebrews here, and it's 2 Peter 2. This is one I always try to remember to share with somebody before they become a member of the kingdom. 2 Peter chapter 2, look at verses 20 through 22. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they grew up, Church of Christ, they knew, they are again entangled in them and overcome. They only grew up, Church of Christ, they're no longer there. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. It would have been better for them 
not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it's happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. What an unbelievably terrible, awful, tragic day it will be in the end. When the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 24, delivers up his kingdom, his blood-washed people, the church of Christ, to its, eternally to its eternal heavenly home, and so many souls who have left that group for whatever reason will probably say something along the lines of those in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, they'll seek to excuse themselves from their own eternal destruction because they're not any part of that group because they didn't want to stay a part of that group. And they say, maybe screaming out, Lord, but I grew up, Church of Christ. I don't know what Judgment Day is going to be like in all of its aspects. Jesus didn't tell us. But when they see the eternal destination of the saints who are part of that kingdom, who are still faithful in that kingdom, in my mind, in my, my depiction of it all, I can see people echoing what they did here on earth, saying, well, I grew up in that group. I was part of that group. I grew up Church of Christ. And in my mind, I can almost picture Jesus at that point saying, just like Matthew 7, 21 through 23. But you didn't stay. Oh, how I wanted you to stay. I died for you so you could be part of that group. That's how much I wanted you in that group. I even sent you loved one after loved one after person after person and, and elder after preacher after teacher to cry out to you and to beg you to return to that group before it was too late. Jesus, I wanted you there so much. But you wouldn't listen. And you showed me by your choices, by your own choices that you made, by your own desertion that you wanted nothing on earth to do with my father, my father's word, and my father's people, especially on Sunday when the family gathered around my table in my house. You proved that you didn't want anything to do with us, and so I've got to honor the choice you made. If you didn't want anything to do with us on earth, Why would you want anything to do with us now? And so Jesus will simply honor the choice that those people have made and will say, depart from me. I never knew you. All you who practice lawlessness, Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. But there's good news. There's awesome news today because we're still here and living and breathing. We're still here in the word. We still have an opportunity. The good news is that the prodigal son in Luke 15, he found out not only how scary and how hopeless the world can be 
outside of his father's house where he had grown up. But you know what else he found out, don't you? He also found out how loving and compassionate and warm and welcoming and forgiving his father would still be to the one who grew up in his house, left his house, but was still willing to realize his mistake and repent and return before it was too late. That's what else the prodigal said. And as long as we draw breath, we need to understand how forgiving and loving the Father is. When one who grows up in his house leaves for the swine fields and they get out there and they realize and they recognize what a terrible place it is and how lonely it is away from God, how hopeless a place it is. And they say, they come to their senses, they say, I've got to go back home. I've got to go back to my father and I'll take any position the father gives me, but I've just got to get back to my father and his house. God will run to those people. Isn't God awesome? Isn't God awesome? But if they don't, they will have nothing but wrath and judgment and fiery indignation and the vengeance of an angry and almighty God who will keep his every word and promise of punishment just like he'll keep his every word and promise of reward. Final passage for sure this morning, 2 Timothy 2. When you tell God in this lifetime I don't want to be part of you, people. I don't want to be part of your worship. I don't want to be in your house. I don't want to be in your presence where you are. I don't want to celebrate you. The gift of your son doesn't mean that much. It doesn't mean more than anything else to me. The blood doesn't mean that much to me. When, 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 when people tell God that with their entire life, or at least their adult life, God has been left no choice but to honor that in eternity. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, please follow. God is so good, but his promises of, of wrath are just as sure as his promises of reward. Verse 11, this is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. Hallelujah. If we have died with him in the waters of Christian baptism, Romans 6, if we have died with him and we rise to walk in newness of life, we shall live with him. Isn't that awesome? But it goes on, it says, if we endure, we'll also reign with it. After we come out of that water, if we keep on persevering and we keep on enduring and we keep on showing God that we want to be part of his people and his word and his promise and we want to be in his presence and, and we endure despite the persecution, we'll also reign with him. Praise God. Uh-oh. Look at the next verse, next line. Because right here is where it flips. If we deny him, this is the contrast. Verses 11 and the first part of 12 talk about the positive. God's going to keep his word. God is faithful. But God is just as faithful to his promises of punishment as he is to his promises of reward. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. You know what verse 13 means? Look at it again. You know what verse 13 means? It means if we're faithless and we give up on God and his word, and we walk away from God, his word, his people, because it's a package deal, if we walk away from that, if we are faithless, God is faithful. You know what that means? Just because we deny his word, he's still going to keep his promises. And what are his promises? Destruction, if you don't want any part of it. 
He's going to keep the negative side as much as the positive side. Even if we deny his word, he's not going to deny what he said in his word. If we deny him, he will deny us. Verse 12. God will keep his word even if we don't have any faith in his word. He will keep his word. Question this morning. If you are, or if you know someone who only grew up Church of Christ, the thing that you need to know most of all and carry with you forever and ever is this. Simply growing up Church of Christ guarantees you absolutely nothing but eternity in hell except and unless it leads to your growing up spiritually, growing in Christ daily, and growing old as a faithful and hardworking member in good standing of the Lord's church. Growing up Church of Christ alone won't get it done. You can't ride to heaven on your parents' faith. Do you know somebody who just grew up Church of Christ? A lot of us in this room do. And if you know somebody who simply grew up is a part of this group or associated with or worshiping with this group but no longer does, they need to know. They need to know everything we've talked about this morning. If that's not you, if you're currently growing in Christ and growing in God's word and growing constantly in serving your brethren, that's an awesome thing. This morning, the invitation is offered to anybody who's not a member of the Lord's Church to become one by having your sins washed away. That's just the starting point. Then begins the work. Some of these older members who've been in Christ a while, yeah, I can almost see, yeah, that's when the work begins. If you come forward this morning, become a child of God, or if you're somebody who became a child of God a long time ago, but you need the strength to go talk to somebody who simply just grew up Church of Christ, or maybe if you're one of those, you need the prayers of the church, you need us to love on you, we will do it with the love of Christ. If you have a need this morning, please come to the front as we stand and as we sing.